the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, December 19th, 2022. I am Seth Liebson, and I want to extend a uh, not only big thanks to the producers, Bill and David, but really to J.D. Hayworth for taking the show Thursday and Friday. Really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, wasn't able to be with you, and... Um, Great to be able to call on J.D. in the uh, in the uh, clinch and uh, obviously great to have his voice as much as possible. So thank you, uh, J.D. Thank you, Bill. Though we try every December, it's always fraught with danger to try to predict what the next year's political and cultural issues will be. January, the upcoming month, is named after the ancient Roman god Janus, who looked both backward and forward what was behind to inform what Schaller would be ahead. Taking a lemon from the uh, television and op-ed commentary, though, we do get a few ideas. If nothing else, the ideas about what the television producers and op-ed writers want us to be thinking and talking and presumably doing about is broadcast and projected through them. From what I read last week and even today, education and the quote-unquote education wars are going to be with us in a large way next year. They should be. More on that in a moment. Briefly, I see the January 6th committee is finishing up its final hearings and has just issued a report with some criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. This will generate three or four days of news, interviews featuring Adam Schiff, Benny Thompson, and let's see if I'm right, probably more Liz Cheney than anyone else. It will receive somewhere north of 5,000% the coverage the Twitter files and releases of the past few weeks have received in total. That's not a hard guess. They have only received a few major news items, these seven tranches of Twitter files that have been released, you know, because nothing to see and nothing that should bother the press here. After all, just, you know, intelligence agencies, federal law enforcement, security clearance officials and ex-officials pressuring a media platform to manipulate stories and people, even shadow ban them when they don't toe the line of those agencies or meet with approval the political considerations of those agencies and agents. And the other side of the coin, those social media platform employees welcoming just that kind of collaboration with the federal government. You'd think newspapers and media would care about that, at least other media sources, especially after the decade of the 1970s, when the truly revelatory national hearings were all about the FBI and CIA doing just those sorts of things. To remind of what Justice Hugo Black and William O. Douglas co-wrote in the Pentagon Papers case, quote, the press was to serve the governed, not the governors. The government's power to censor the press was abolished so that the press would remain forever free to censure the government. Close quote. Distinguish between censor and censure there, of course. 
Doesn't seem to be a whole lot of interest in that from the press these days, does there? In fact, one better or worse, when it is discovered that the government was trying to censor the press, the rest of the press said nothing to see here, all very ho-hum. There are bigger stories like January 6, 2020, which, by the way, likely would not have even found its energumen in the first place if Twitter weren't doing the work of the FBI and censoring stories that it would have changed all kinds of outcomes in November of 2020. Of course, there's a lack of interest from the mainstream press, too, because they actually agree with what was done. Anything to stop Republicans could be their operational hashtag or new motto. Not the truth, wherever it leads. Not we shall vigorously be a check on the government and on behalf of the citizens. No, more like here's what the citizens should believe. So we will tell them that enhance stories that help diminish and downgrade ones that do not. To help continue in that process, of course, comes back to the beginning, the education wars I referenced a few moments ago. One side is poised to do everything it can to hold its vice grip on progressive agendas in our schools, and the other side is trying to change it back to a more traditional basis. The media write-ups would have you believe that is the conservative side that is doing the agitating, trying to revolutionize the education system, and to some antediluvian, monochromatic, waspy past or something. Since we're talking about a culture war with political implications, maybe the best actual description of what is going on was what Abraham Lincoln said in his second inaugural of the two sides involved in that war. He said, quote, one of them would make war rather than let the nation survive, and the other would accept war rather than let it perish. And the war came, close quote. Pretty apt, especially that make war rather than let the nation survive business. It was our side that accepted the war that was being waged. Last week, we talked about a major New York Times story on conservatives trying to ban books. Banning unhelpful stories about Joe Biden and his son never bothered the New York Times for what it's worth. But conservatives voicing concerns about sexual and racial books aimed at kindergartners did and evidently does. Today, the Washington Post picks up the ball and runs with it. There, in the Washington Post, E.J. Dion has a piece titled, quote, Book banning is bad policy. Let's make it bad politics, close quote. Helpfully, it is accompanied by a picture of an activist woman reading one theoretically banned book and a stack of seven other books under it. The book the activist is reading is titled Gender Queer. Other books under it include many we've talked about here before, including Lawn Boy. It's interesting to me that for all the folks telling us Lawn Boy is A, just fine, and B, not that prevalent, they keep displaying it. In any event, take the book the woman is reading, Gender Queer, as the exemplar of books that are being targeted in schools or being, in their words, banned. If you look up the specs on the book... It states the maturing or recommended reading age for this book is 18 years and up, 18-year-old readers and up. So you may ask, what is a book directed at adults in the first place even doing in an elementary or secondary school? Oh, I'm not suggesting people shouldn't read above their age or push themselves, but it does seem to me the wrong poster boy for revealing how blue-nosed conservatives are about what books are appropriate in public elementary and high schools would be something called gender queer. 
This is a book that even liberal Wikipedia describes in its first sentence on it as, quote, a graphic memoir written and illustrated by one Maya Kobabi. It it recounts Kobabi's journey from adolescence to adulthood and the author's exploration of gender identity and sexuality, ultimately identifying as being outside of the gender binary, close quote. Yeah, maybe not the case you want to take or make for pushing literacy on the public dime with the public dole to elementary and high school students. Or maybe it is. And if it is, then maybe there's our point precisely being made for us. Are we done, after all, teaching Shakespeare and Mark Twain? Are those authors even known? We've, of course, discussed Lawn Boy, one of the books in the list and or in the stack. And I don't really want to go into the other books in the picture accompanying E.J. Dion's piece. What Dion goes on to write himself is a chapter under our ongoing, I guess, own book or title of unbias called This is How They Do It. He writes, quote, the current spate of book banning is not new. That doesn't make it any less dangerous. A new round of censorship has sturdy roots in a right wing movement that uses slogans around parental rights to defend removing books from libraries in the names of protecting children. He then goes on to write, quote, opponents of censorship heartily agree that parents should have an important say in how schools work and how public libraries serve our children. What we're against is a willful ideological minority imposing its views on everyone else, dictating which ideas should be forbidden in public institutions that instruct the young. Close quote. What a load of crud. They're open-minded and we are not because they're against ideological minorities imposing their views on everybody else, dictating what should be forbidden? Right. Ask Bethany Mandel how many of her Heroes of Liberty series books make it into our kindergartens and public libraries. Ask any school that teaches American history how much they comply with the NEA's resolution that, quote, provide an already created in-depth study that critiques empire, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersection of our society, and that we oppose attempts to ban critical race theory and or the 1619 Project, close quote. Or as they tell us, critical race theory is not designed for elementary schools. Maybe ask why the NEA passed that resolution last year. NEA meaning Teachers Union, the National Education Association. Conduct a virtual listening tour that will educate members on the tools and resources needed to defend honesty in education, including but not limited to tools like CRT. Tools and resources needed to defend CRT. That's the NEA. They passed that resolution, even as they tell you CRT is not around in our schools, only our law schools. NEA doesn't operate in graduate school, by the way. Ask any high school history teacher if their history books are written by Howard Zinn and or the 1619 Project or other woke authors, if they use those resources or if they teach from nonpartisan, unbiased textbooks. Or better yet, still, if they think unbiased textbooks, nonpartisan textbooks, are themselves biased because they don't teach. Here we go. To use the NEA's words, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, cis-heteropatriarchy, capitalism, ableism, anthropocentrism, and other forms of power and oppression at the intersections of our society. Close quote. 
And this is why it is such tripe for Dion to write, as he does today, about the, quote, radical rights efforts to divide us by picking fights that most of us don't even want to have, close quote. Sorry, EJ, we didn't want this war. The war came. We joined. I was thinking about this in respect to what I was hoping would be the political story of the year. School board races where our teams started waking up to the curricular fights that take place at school boards and decided to run for those positions. One USA Today story on the school board races this past November writes under a heading, quote, why it matters, that quote, in addition to influencing what can and cannot be taught in their school districts, the incoming school board members can make crucial decisions on policies related to LGBTQ young people, how district money is spent, and how hiring a district superintendent is done, close quote. First, that first part, influencing what can and cannot be taught. That's not something that makes incoming school board members matter. That's what the school boards have been doing. That's what makes school boards. That is what they do. This isn't some change being brought about by conservatives. This is conservatives trying to get involved in that very pattern and practice that has been going on routinely for the past several decades without conservative input. Second, what is this business about, quote, making crucial decisions on policies related to LGBTQ young people, close quote? Are we supposed to think the policies would be discriminatory or something? That they're going to be prevented from going to school or sitting in non-segregated classrooms or being harassed as a matter of policy? And why is that group the only one that's isolated? The answer to all of that is no, of course not. Nobody argues for any of that. Nobody would want that. The accurate way to write that sentence might have been, it will matter because efforts might be made to ensure biological males use only male restrooms and locker rooms while biological females use only female restrooms and locker rooms at the schools, while books and administration officials and teachers may not be permitted to make end runs around parents in encouraging issues having to do with sex and changing or suppressing children's natural and physical biology. It might have been written that way. That's the worst that could happen. In other words, restoring schools to what we remember them as being, oh, say, six years ago. Or just restoring them to being schools and not psychiatric and gender sex clinics. The school board, the story of school board elections in 2022 turned out to be a mixed one nationally with some successes and not so much successes. My guess is the defeated are not giving up and going away. It's also my hope. 30 years ago, one of the great American historians who was close to and worked for and with John Kennedy when he was president, Arthur Schlesinger Jr., wrote a book about the new push toward what was then called multiculturalism, a precursing set of embers that would grow to be fully fueled conflagrations of pedagogy based on, again, to use the terminology of the NEA, white supremacy, anti-blackness, anti-indigeneity, racism, patriarchy, you get it. The book was called The Disuniting of America, and this is some of what he wrote. Quote, history is not likely to succeed where psychiatry fails. Afrocentrism in particular is an escape from the hard and expensive challenges of our society. The need for safer schools, better teachers, better teaching materials, greater investment in education, the need for stable families that can nourish self-discipline and aspiration, 
the need for jobs and income that can nourish stable families, the need to stop the ravages of drugs and crime. Close quote. That was nearly 30 years ago. Or, Schlesinger puts it, we can keep going down the path we're on, embracing all kinds of ethnic rage in a, quote, cult of ethnicity that exaggerates differences, intensifies resentments and antagonisms, and drives ever deeper the awful wedges between races and nationalities. The end game is self-pity and self-ghettoization, he writes, close quote. But, of course, those who have elevated this to an art and baseline are the defaults, the normal now. And we who challenge it, we who listen to the likes of Arthur Schlesinger Jr. are the minority, dictating our views on school boards when we raise our evidently backward heads, according to E.J. Dion. Again, this is how they do it. Plow down the decades-old tried and true and productive fields in the dark of night, plant new crops with toxins in them, instill new and formerly alien ideologies and pedagogy, pedagogies along the neo-Marxist line, and then blame those who would like nothing to do with the alien ideologies and pedagogies. Yeah, the war came. We'll see if this carries through as a major issue next year, and maybe even the one after. I suspect it will. I hope it does. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. By the way, I, um, I really do hope that, um, that we can uh, dispense with the notion that it's uh, just a problem of liberals uh, working with uh, previous Elon Musk Twitter and other social media organizations in silencing conservatives. Uh, terrible, uh, I think terrible story. Maybe in a way not surprising, but terrible nonetheless. Uh, over at The Federalist, uh, take a look at it if you want to be really upset. Jordan Boyd has a piece out today how uh, this quote-unquote conservative uh, organization, The Bulwark, this is uh, this is the uh, excuse me, uh, not the bulwark. Uh, sorry, they have their own problems. This is the dispatch, this quote unquote conservative organization, the dispatch, David French, Jonah Goldberg and um, Steve Hayes. They've been working with organizations like Facebook, profiting off organizations like Facebook by giving them cover for censoring stories about Joe Biden about Donald Trump and about COVID and all the rest. Um, I, you know, you wonder how these organizations, these new media startups can make enough money to hire people that take such big salaries or require such big operational salaries. You wonder about that? Well, I, here's here's part of that answer. Sure, they have funders. Of course they do, individual funders, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they also evidently get contracts with the likes of Facebook to, quote, unquote, reduce the spread of misinformation and provide more reliable information to users. It, it really makes the stomach churn. It, it just really does. I, I, you know, the worst of it is, you know, is these guys appear on CNN and other outlets or in the newspapers and are quoted as being conservative thinkers. If you're on hold, give me a few moments. I will get to you, I promise. I've got to take a quick commercial break, do our culture economy update. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 34 after the hour. And that brings us our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates, grandcanyonplanning.com, his website, and a great way to reach him. And you can also hear him every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. The Word on Wealth is his radio show right here on 960 The Patriot. How are you, John? Happy Monday. Happy Monday, Seth. Uh, we're going to, I don't know, is, is this a, is this one of these weeks where it's a lot's going to be, uh, tell, uh, we're going to learn a lot about housing and real estate, a lot of reports uh, coming out on building permits and National Association of Realtors and that sort of thing. That's, that's what it looks like to me. Yeah, we've got a lot of economic news coming out, as, as we do every week. It just seems like something's happening every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're starting to, you know, look at and see, uh, you know, what type of an effect has uh, the interest rate hikes had not only on the general economy but on housing as well. And uh, obviously we're seeing a, a slowdown in housing. We're seeing prices beginning to come down. Uh, and these economic numbers that we're going to be receiving will give us a little more indication as to what's happening. Is it slowing? Are we getting down to a point to where maybe we're hitting a bottom on that? I did hear one report today or an opinion today that uh, maybe the thought was is that the housing market maybe is hitting a bottom right now. But I think that's a little too premature. A little premature yeah, for that I obituary. So. Yeah. If that is, If it is true, though, that uh, housing prices are going to go down, I presume – you straighten me out if I'm wrong – this was a big story here for a couple of years. I, I, I presume that means rentals, rental prices go down too. Yep, everything, yeah. everything's gonna. We're starting to see a softening, even in uh, the the cost for rentals, which is a positive because they've certainly been elevated uh, to a point to where it's it's difficult for people to qualify to even uh, lease a lease a property now. Um, one of the things is that uh, these leasing companies are very strict as to uh, what they're looking for from tenants, um, and that's something that a lot of people are going to have to deal with. You know, if you're not making enough income, you could always, you know, go on and collect subsidies from the government, I yeah, guess, yeah. to make up the shortfall because it seems like – uh, some of these uh, subsidies are uh, making it easier for people not to work. That's you know, there's a bit. Uh, Steve Moore and, and some others had a piece on that in the New York Post. I, I assume you might be referencing mm. that. Yeah, it is astounding if you are somewhat creative enough <laughs> how much you can just live off the federal dole along yeah. with state government uh, welfare programs and not have to work, which is a continuing theme and concern of ours as well. Isn't oh, it? oh, sure. I mean, you know, it's interesting that. Uh, some of these things can go on for almost an unlimited yeah. period of time. That's we always right. we always thought that some of these subsidies were there to help people when it was a difficult time. Temporary, in their, in, yeah. yeah. Temporary yeah. in their financial life, right? Yeah. But we even put it in the word of the legislation once in a while. Temporary mm -hmm. assistance for needy families. Right, right, but it's turning into more of a permanent. Yep. And it's almost like a job. You could almost uh, take your time, your 40 hours a week, trying to figure out how you could get whatever you can out of the government right. as a subsidy so yep. that you don't have to you know, have a regular job. Yeah, and I bet it doesn't even take 40 hours a week to no, figure I, that out. But, I mean, the, the amounts are quite astounding. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it obviously changes on cost of living from state to state, yep. but some people can be making upwards of uh, high 20s, low 30 uh, equivalent uh, hourly wages. Yeah, which uh, a lot of companies could not afford right. to pay. So right. that's, that's what this report is talking about, right. how some, in some cases it's uh, more money yeah. for people to not work. And that, that is not the uh, American dream. No. You know, to... But to it might be... I mean, subsidies. someone's got to get... The, I mean, someone or someone's better start thinking 
uh, hard about this stuff because it's not going to be popular to talk about for politicians to talk about, right? It's never no. never popular to talk about taking benefits away. But, boy, we're going to have a perfect storm of, of labor and uh, employment uh, lack uh, and chasm and, uh, and unemployment going through the roof if we don't arrest this issue. You know, I just bring it back to the family, Seth, again. Yes, sir. You know, if you've got children at home, are you, do you want to raise your children um, basically to say, hey, you know, where are your parents? We're paying for your, you know, food right now. We're raising you. We're paying you for your education and paying all these things for you. And we're just going to do that for the rest of our lives. You don't ever have to think about it. We're going to take care of it all. If that's the way you're going to raise your children, um, then they're going to probably expect to get these benefits from the government. It tends to be, sadly, a little bit generational, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, and so we need to teach our kids a little bit more independence yeah. and yeah. to be self-reliant. Yeah, that's a task. Maybe yeah. you and I can team up on something for that some way, somehow. I think about it a lot, John. You'd be yep. good at it. Thank you, sir. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, member of Finn Recipient and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you so much, Seth. Nice kicking the week off with you, John. As you always, bet. we'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless you, sir. I am Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Mike has been patiently awaiting. You're in Carefree. Mike, thank you uh, for your patience and call. Oh, thank you, Seth. Well, I was listening to your monologue, and the, the hypocrisy of the educational, you know, uh, Leviathan is just incredible. They talk about ending patriarchy, white supremacy, and this, that, and the other, and yet all all the uh, Ivy League schools still have legacy admissions. Yeah, that's a good point. Which are, and uh, and in addition, all of these uh, educational institutions and and most colleges have special um, dispensations for uh, other other uh, members of the uh, educational elite where they have tuition forgiveness yes. between educations. Yes. And, and, and all of these things are, you know, examples of uh, giving money uh, that really comes from the federal government to your friend. Yep. And that's technically a violation of the Hatch Act. Yeah. People don't you know, realize that a lot of these schools, yeah, yes, even, yes, of course, even if you take out uh, the financial aid, the federal financial aid stuff, even if you take that out, a lot of these schools, especially the bigger named schools, and not just the Ivy Leagues, they take a, they take in billions uh, from the federal government, billions. Um, and, and they do play this game, Mike, um, all the while lecturing us about how uh, divided we are as a country. There, there are probably few places as divisive I was going to say colleges and universities now the way they do it, but I think it's the entire warp and woof of the education system uh, with not only yeah. certain scholarships available to only certain kinds of people, but what's uh, being um, decided by the Supreme Court this year when it comes to applications that were uh, uh, disparately impacting Asian Americans, uh, that, that, that out of uh, North Carolina and Harvard. <clears throat> but excuse me, I mean, if you want to create more and more disunity uh, at the K through 12 level. Just keep going along with the curriculum we have. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep teaching people that they are not products of one country and they are not products of one species named human. They are products of their race. They are products of their sexual preferences this year or this month or this day. They are that, that, that those things are far more important than anything that the whole idea of the common school was meant to teach in the first place. 
I have one question for you. <laughs> yes, sir. Remember what Dinesh D'Souza went to prison for? Yes. Uh, he went to jail for kind of bundling, illegally bundling a campaign donation, as I recall. He, for he a Senate race or a House it, race in New York, if I'm if I'm thinking right. Yeah. He gave ten thousand dollars in his in his son's name. Right. Right. Now how is that different from Mark Zuckerberg giving millions of dollars in aid and not advertisement free uh, to a candidate. Yeah, the distinction. Right, 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 right. The so distinction why, uh, between of, an in-kind, yeah, in-kind donation. All of these in-kind yeah. donations that are clearly a violation of that law, and I haven't seen any of the tech uh, imams going to prison. No, and nor the, nor will they, nor will they. You know, I mean, the only the only real thing I want our House of Representatives to do when, with the new Republican majority is go after the Department of Justice. If they spent every waking day working on that, uh, that would make me a happy man because I, I think they can. I think there's enough there to spend every waking working day on that stuff. But it having to do with exactly what you're talking about, Mike, the partisan. I mean, the, the idea that the law and prosecution is not partisan is, has become such a bad joke Here's the here's the problem. I think you tell me if I'm right. <clears throat> Excuse me. The problem is that the Democrats know it. They just agree with it. They just think it's the right thing to do. They think they're on a yeah, mission from heaven to make sure that this country is devoid of conservatism. The scariest form of unconstitutional action is the politicization of, of the FBI yep. and the I agree. IRS. I agree. Because those those are those are agencies that have no. Um, government at this time they have become a law unto themselves that's exactly right they have become a law unto themselves and yeah they have no oversight yeah they can they can take your they can arrest you without cause the irs can arrest you without cause and confiscate your property without due process i mean you just look at the kind and 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 by the way beyond the partisan nature of it which is worse than what i'm about to say but what i'm about to say is also a secondary evil and i think that is the right word for it evil is there collusion with the media on this stuff? How is it that when Republicans get arrested with 18 armed agents at six in the morning, unnecessarily in the first place, in the first place, never, never is that kind of arrest almost ever needed with these political and, and financial crimes? Almost never. Usually attorneys are able to work these things out with the prosecutors and they surrender on their own and on their own accord. But when they do these raids, 17 and 20 armed member raids at six in the morning on these people's houses, and we can think of the names, everyone from from uh, from uh, Bannon to Stone to uh, um, I'm, I'm blanking on. The, on Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trump. Well, certainly. Certainly, certainly, certainly the materials. Yeah, certainly the items for Trump. Uh, but uh, the foreign policy guy, the trade guy, I'm, I'm blanking on his name yeah. uh, at the airport. Yeah. Why is the media always there? How do they know? How does the media they know? certainly weren't there for Sandy Berger? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. We're going to get into some choppy waters and have to stay close to Mike on the issue you raise with these quote-unquote in-kind donations um, because, you know, the um, yes, of course, it's enforced only in the breach or in a partisan way. But I have to tell you, I have heard more and more people talk about uh, campaign finance reform law in a way that I, I have to tell you I get a little nervous about. I get a little nervous about. What I would like is for Dinesh not to have to jump through hula hoops or circles or squares to give – 
money to speech he likes, as I would like right. Mike Mark Zuckerberg to do the same. I would like it to be all disclosed or at least yeah. at least transparent. That's it. Transparency is the key. You can't stop corruptive, corrupt donations. But if they're if they're in the open, then there's a price to pay for that. Yes. Right. Right. I think so. But I do get worried. I mean, I you, you probably followed the elections as closely as, as as I did, or if not closer, more closely. And, you know, there's no question how much money has made a difference in our system. But I can't figure out a good constitutional way to think about limits on it. And I still worry about that because I know that is a temptation for people to talk about. I don't know if you have a thought on it. I don't think you can. I, like I said, I think you have to make everything transparent, and I think you should have to publish it. Yeah. Not yeah. just make it transparent, not deny it. Yeah. So that, so that if, if somebody takes $3 million from Tom Steyer to, right. to turn Arizona purple, right. they have to put that in and say, who the heck is Tom Steyer? I, I think that's right. And then there's another side to that coin, too, uh, which is why the quote-unquote uh, anonymous money situation came about, which is some people will have retribution based on that. See, that you could do. You could have it transparent with a law that no one can suffer retribution for exercising their political speech. That might work. That might be the way out. That might You don't well, lose you a job. You don't lose a promotion, that kind of thing. You have to have a corollary law of no doxing. Yeah. You can say yeah. their name, but yeah. not. Yeah, no doxing, no financial, no employment. Right, right. Almost a civil right. Almost adding it to the chapter seven of the civil or chapter six and seven of the civil right. Almost. Maybe that's the way we should think. Boy, Mike, you gave me a lot of ideas on this call. Thank you, sir. Worth the wait. Thank you. Have a, have a you, great you day. You do the same. You have a great day. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you're concerned with stock market volatility, our friends and sponsors at Y-Refi have an investment for you in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. And by the way, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a, a secure collateralized portfolio. delivers a high fixed interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent. That's right, 102 5%. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34. This is a secure collateralized portfolio uh, run by great guys. I know the team really well. They're based here locally. You can uh, visit and meet with them. Interesting uh, guests coming right up. Uh, really interesting. Really different. Kind of sad that this was needed, but it was needed. And it's a new organization they put together, husband and wife team, Gerald and Patricia Posner, um, to stop anti-Semitism because the ADL fell on its face and fell on its mission. Uh, the need is greater than in many previous times, and the usual watchdog organizations have fallen flat to do anything about it other than virtue signal in one political direction. So Gerald and Patricia Posner will be with us shortly. If uh, you want to read more about them, uh, you can see their piece in Newsweek, Why Another Anti-Semitism Watchdog, or go to antisemitismwatch.org. That's antisemitismwatch.org. I bet you didn't know that Jews are 2.5 times more likely to be a victim 
a victim of a hate crime than uh, African-Americans in this country per capita. Bet you didn't know that. Bet you didn't. It's funny, you know, that anti-Semitism stuff was only talked about and popular when Donald Trump was president. Well, Joe Biden's president now, and it's worse, and no one's talking about it. All right, Bill, tell me what do I got uh, on my time here? Am I, my clock's off. Oh, okay. So anyway, uh, check out their piece at Newsweek, uh, the Posners, uh, Gerald and Patricia Posner, Why Another Anti-Semitism Watchdog. They're well-known authors. I think I might have even had Gerald Posner on some years ago. He's written about 15 books. I think I had him on talking about some of the JFK uh, documents that were released. Not the most recent tranche, but when they were released a tranche a few years back. He's an expert on JFK, and they are both experts on – they have four books on the Holocaust. And uh, Anyway, the posters will be right with us. Don't go away. Be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 